Join us at the Community Cats podcast from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Rachel Geller. She will be presenting her Surrender Prevention Workshop. As a surrender prevention specialist, your knowledge of cat behavior may be the difference between a cat losing her home and staying in her home. You will be able to get your certificate this season and take advantage of the interactive format, extensive handouts, and footage of actual techniques. Sign up today for a fee of $10 and become Surrender Prevention Certified. For more information, go to communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Daniel Ettinger. And Daniel is the host of the Animal Control Report, a podcast focused on changing the image of the dog catcher stereotype. He interviews animal control officers, industry experts, and discusses cases and trends. The podcast is here to help officers connect and bring notoriety to the profession. Daniel wants you to tune in to see how we can keep it humane. Daniel is an animal control supervisor and his co-host, Ashley Bishop, is a humane officer in Wisconsin. Daniel, I'd like to welcome you to the show. It is great to be a part of the Community Cats Fire. I'm excited. I really am. I think it's going to be a great interview today. And, you know, thank you for joining us. And also, as a fellow podcaster, I'd like to thank you so much for creating a show, putting together a show. It is a lot of work putting together one of those podcasts, for sure. It's fun, though. And it's if one person takes something away from one episode, then we've done our job. And so I, I think, like, having the ability to reach people in different states or countries is such an amazing, I, I would say, accomplishment for all of us that do podcast work. So. Yeah. Uh, so for our listeners, as you know, many of our listeners are really passionate about cats. How did you become passionate about cats? Yeah, you, uh, obviously growing up with cats, you know, I've, I don't know how dark we get on your episodes. I, I've, you know, the animal control report, we we kind of talk about everything and, and rightfully so in some aspects because animal control officers deal with some of the most morbid and, and hor horrific situations. And so I will, I'll, you know, I can kind of talk about just being a kid and being around cats. I grew attached to like their company, right? Like some, some cats, some cats are great and like to sit on your lap and purr. And then others, the moment you look at them, they're like, nope, you can leave me alone. And you're still like, but I like you. And they're like, I don't care. I'm a cat. Leave me alone. And so understanding that as a kid uh, made me respect and like cats even more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I actually happen to be one of those folks that I prefer cats that don't get in my personal space. And uh, so we have a wonderful relationship, you know, that way with, with cats. And um, unfortunately, I'm right now I'm cat sitting my my daughter's cat, Maggie, who happens to be a very loving and affectionate cat. So I'm sort of trying to handle this. But two weeks is plenty of time to be with uh, with my daughter's cat. And then after that, I will will not have a, a cat climbing on my stomach all the time and that kind of thing. So 
it's uh, it's funny how people have an, have expectations, you know, about the way a, a cat should behave. But you know, you know, what is life like, you know, for an animal control officer that is now dealing with cats in the community? Many many years ago, folks used to think of you know the dog catcher or animal control only dealt with dogs. Is that true? Number one. Number two. Is it really more common for animal control officers to have a role with regards to cats in the community? Well, let's start with kind of the historical view on animal control and in that unempathetic dog catcher where it was, you know, I would say it was really maybe not an exaggeration, but a reflection of our profession for some time. There were people employed by, you know, government agencies or, or whatever that weren't really passionate about animals. It was a job kind of the next level up from your solid waste removal or garbage man. And it didn't take much. There wasn't a a need for education and there really wasn't any checks and balances. And so some of those animal control officers that we see depicted in movies, I don't like to say that that's some creative genius from someone in Hollywood. I really like to think that it's truthfully a reflection of the product we used to put out there. And Historically, we would deal with stray dogs. Uh, there's a you can look up the 1911 1911 coalition um, living safely with dogs or something of that nature. It's it's out of New York City, but the whole purpose of that was to make sure our streets were safe from dog attacks, rabies, etc. Now we know cats can carry rabies, and so if there were cats that were sick or symptomatic, I'm sure the dog catcher would get involved then. As we move forward in into today's like kind of current climate, you know, animal control is is much more than just a dog catcher. And and some agencies have gone away from just the name animal control because it may bring up those negative connotations where animal control is, is called animal protection or animal services or animal welfare or humane investigator, et cetera, et cetera. When you talk about what we do as a profession now. I think the the main thing, the easiest way to identify or say it is we help protect people from animals and animals from people. I want to ask, you know, in in the whole realm of animal control, one thing that I find is like a bedrock for community cats, for basically cats and dogs in our community, is the ability to access spay-neuter services, affordable, and just access them in general. How does that benefit the, you know, animal control environment? Where does spay-neuter live maybe in that municipal realm? Yeah, I think we need more of it. As we, as we really look at some of the issues that are created in our communities with animals, it's, it's ultimately the, the un- sanctioned, that's not the right word, but un, uh, see, this is what I wish Bishop, my co-host was here because she would have the right word for me. Uh, just, we, we don't have the, the full like gamut of doing our job because we're dealing with overpopulation, whether it's animal shelters being overpopulated, right? And so we can't get animals placed soon enough. And then they're living in shelters longer than needed or, the problems that we have in the community, whether it's that neighbor complaining about the cats because there's, you know, no one there to spay and neuter a colony. And I mean, we're seeing more and more of it, but I I think that that if I was, if I were to wave a magic wand over our profession, 
that would be one of probably a few asks that that would be on my top three would be low cost or no cost spay and neuter for our dogs and cats. That's great to hear from from your perspective, because obviously I, I would assume it's a resource and that's a resource to share with the community. And spay and neuter does resolve a lot of conflict issues in the community. And so I just think it's great. When, when I started our uh, spay-neuter clinic at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, our mobile spay-neuter clinic, the Catmobile, the local animal control officers, they loved having our business cards It mm. because it gives you an opportunity to provide something in the positive out into the community. I can, I can help with the solution. And you were just talking about how you live in the world of, you know, the dark, the scary, the dreary. Where is the positive in being an animal control officer? I think it comes back to your discretion as an officer. You know, I used to, I, I used to work in Denver, which is a pretty big city. And, and during that time, we had a program to help community cats. However, the caveat was you had to live, live in one of the zip codes, right? So however they figured out how to fund it, you had to live in that target zip code in order for the city to pay for services. And so discretionary, uh, if somebody was really in a bad situation, one of two things would happen, right? Is I would reach out to our outreach team, try to say that three times fast. And I would say, hey, we have this situation. They're not in our target zip code. Can we still help them? Is there a way to help them? And a lot of times they would figure out ways to help them. But there were times, you know, integrity is very important in our, in just world in general. But where, where do we draw that line? Where is integrity? Like, am I doing something for the greater good or am I going to do something that's going to get me or other people in trouble? The reality was, guess what? You live in this zip code because all they really need is your phone number. You can bring the cats to them, right? So sometimes the discretion of the officer can be the, the most successful tool that we have because then we can say, I can help this situation by doing X, Y, and Z. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And there are definitely some value to having targeted TNR programs and that with the folks at Neighborhood Cats. And I think with Brian Cordes from Neighborhood Cats, which I think you've interviewed on your podcast, you know, he talks about the importance of targeting certain zip codes that might have a greater impact on the area shelters and that and that kind of thing. But I also understand that Community cats, they don't pay attention to zip code lines or anything like that. And so there are spay neuter needs in every community. I'm trying to understand what's the what's the level of spay neuter assistance that every every community needs. And and at the end of the day, we're trying to elevate the wellness of these cats and trying to encourage them to be healthier, to have the support that they need by the community. And in, in many cases, you know, if there's a community cat that's been spayed or neutered out there and vaccinated, and you know, oftentimes they're able to even find either an indoor-outdoor option or some sheltering option, somebody's out there going to care for that cat in some way, shape, or form. So um, I think it it does, the spay-neuter just brings that cat up to a different level. The spay-neuter and the rabies vaccine, and the I find with animal control, that rabies vaccination is almost a stronger impetus then spay neuter in the community do you find you know referencing 
rabies protection. Maybe that's not in your part of the country versus where I am in the Northeast, but there are quite a few, you know, we have a lot of rabies here more than other parts of the country. But I, I, I find a lot of animal control use public health as a stepping point to enable more spay neuter in the community. Well, I think that again goes back to like officers having that discretion to talk about things that are important in their community. It's not something that I've used in the past, but I've not had a community where rabies is an issue in our feral cat population or our community cat population. I think when you talk about west of the Mississippi for whatever reason, uh, it's just not as it's just not as prevalent. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. If someone's thinking about possibly becoming an animal control supervisor, officer, however you want to title the the job, you know, what would what would your recommendations be? Well, hopefully, you know, to become a supervisor, I, I, I think it's important that that animal control officer has experience in animal law enforcement in some aspects. So coming in as a as an officer and then working their way through some of those things to get to that level is really important. I would say in a lot of cases, this profession is very inconsistent in, in from, from the way that we hire, from the way that we train, from the way that we uh, look for candidates, from the way that we're housed in certain departments. And so there's not one, I can't give one magic answer because of that. What I can say is there are some things that you can do and some things that I think are important uh, when you're when we're talking about becoming a animal control officer because uh, that is a you know the most common title that we have. I think the most important thing if I'm interviewing or, or having that conversation is customer service. So if you think about the job itself, a lot of people kind of think, okay, well it's animal control, so I'm going to deal with animals. <laughs> well. The reality is that is a part of your job, but the majority is really troubleshooting situations, customer complaints, human beings, right? So navigating that environment, dealing with people, dealing with your neighbors, et cetera. And so I really look for what background does somebody have that can prepare them to deal with those hard situations, deal with that neighbor that's always angry because there's a bunch of community cats next door and they're pooping in their garden or tearing up their screen or getting in their vehicle, whatever it may be. Right. And so having that ability to really talk uh, to people is extremely important. And I think unless you have some like deep rooted fear of animals and some people may Stacy, that that's okay. Like if you think about, you know, can you work through that? Are you able to feel confident with a 175 pound dog and you're by yourself, right? Those things can happen in this profession. Are you able to walk into a home where there's 85 feral cats inside somebody's home, right? So dealing with those situations where you're going to have to, you know, think quickly and, and put yourself in situations to be safe and make sure the animals are contained safely as well. So all those things are big factors, but number one, really focus on customer service and then do some volunteer work, work in a, in a shelter as a volunteer or, you know, work with a community cat group as a volunteer, something like that, that you can devote your time to and really learn some of the other pieces that are going to come in handy once you really get, get into it. Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? 
watch the Taming Feral Kittens and Cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay-Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients, and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. In animal welfare, there's always someone to talk with and learn from. Check in with hundreds of animal welfare colleagues every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern to have your chance at $5,000 just for attending. These 50-minute calls are a collaborative space to share exciting new programs and research, discuss uncomfortable topics, connect with peers in the industry, and more, all while sharing a common goal of preserving the human-animal bond. Go to forum.maddiesfund.org to register now. You can also watch on demand if you can't make it live. If I were a small rescue in a community and I really didn't have much interaction with animal control for whatever reason and wanted to create a collaboration or just even just to introduce each other, is there a specific way we should approach animal control? I think we have a shift in animal control as a profession. I know there are still officers out there that are like anti, you know, community cat programs or just anti-community in general. Like, oh, that's that crazy advocate. I don't want to have anything to do with them. All they want to do is save every animal. Well, the reality is animal control doesn't want to euthanize. Like there's no officer I've ever met in my career that's like, man, I just can't wait to put down those animals, right? Like th that's not who we are and what we do. I think from a, a standpoint of like how to approach it, there's a couple different ways, right? Like if you know where your animal control is located, maybe maybe you stop by and and, and say, hey, is, is the director or the supervisor there that I can meet with and chat with, right? Something like that. Uh, and have a conversation and say like, could I come back with a couple maybe a, a, of our team members and, and have like a, just a, a quick conversation. Maybe we, we do coffee or, or some sort of snacks. Animal control officers love snacks, love them. There's no animal control officer on the planet that doesn't like snacks. So keep that in mind. And then from there, um, just, just talking about what they do and how working as a collaboration can be beneficial to the community. Cause ultimately we have the community's best interests, hopefully as our number one priority, I would hope that's everybody's goal there. And then, you know, continuing that relationship, checking in, you know, seeing if they need anything over time and, and just making sure you have a good relationship, I think is really important. I always think it's important, regardless whether it's animal control, board of health, police, fire, you know, it's important to connect with these folks when it's not an emergency. 
when there's not something going on. So, you know, whether it's, you know, appreciate your animal control officer week or even just at any point in time, you can drop those snacks off, right? And just do it when there's no stress involved. There's no issue. Um, I That's the wrong time to be getting to know folks, right? And so I just, I think that take the time to do that networking ahead of time and it'll really facilitate, you know, more, more connections later. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. The animal control report. Let's talk about that. When did you start this podcast? Why did you start this podcast? And what are your hopes for it? Yeah, so I actually was brought in as a guest on episode two and a half, three. It was actually episode three, but it ended up being episode two uh, due to some issue that they had. It's fine. Podcasts are hard. I get it. I So I come in as a guest and I never left. And uh, during that time, we've had hosts kind of kind of leave the show and so i've been the the only one from the original well second episode to still be involved at that time we called it the humane roundup and the humane roundup it's a good name it's a good title however through some of the research that i did you know our podcast is really focused on animal control and so just like your podcast community cast if it was called something like the community and its animals, it would be a little more broad, right? So when you when you really drill down, you want to have your title as something that you're talking about. So we changed it to the Animal Control Report in the beginning of 2023. Uh, we've been going since about 2019, uh, just over oh, just over 200 episodes at this point. And you know we're we're not near you yet. You're 531. I don't know if we'll ever catch up, but uh, our goal. Our goal is is really to help the community, not only of animal control officers or professionals in the animal welfare industry, because we we try to really bring, I, w- I like to say, like training type content to a podcast. So you can listen to a podcast and learn things that are going to help you on your day to day. The other aspect is really to to help the community understand animal control and how it it operates versus that stereotypical dog catcher that is you know portrayed in the movies. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I just had a, a a different thought here on this too. So, you know, I've covered this a lot extensively about veterinary shortages, technician shortages. Do we have an animal control shortage? It depends. Uh, some agencies are, are short-staffed and it's hard to get them. The, the thing with animal control, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, our veterinarians and our vet techs, you know, they all have to have some sort of schooling background, right? They have to have that degree to be in that position. With animal control, that's not the case. And so I think, you know, I think the bigger thing with animal control is retention. So after someone is hired, keeping them. I, I don't necessarily think it's as hard to hire Good help is as as much as it is keeping good help once you have them. So my understanding with retention, you know, is trying to have a lot of professional development and support, Um, I guess, understanding of the position. I sometimes think like the new position in some organizations, community cap program manager is set up for failure if there isn't like clear definition of what the job is. And, you know, there's the educational support to 
maintain and manage that position. And I, I could see that happening with an animal control officer, too, especially maybe in rural areas where you're kind of like the only game in town and you kind of have to be everything to all animals. Um, do you find or have recommendations of certain training avenues? I do. And so I, I think if you if you look at just the hiring in general, as a hiring manager, it's it's kind of your duty to to see that in people, right? And and we're not perfect. We're gonna make new mistakes. We're gonna hire people. Interviews are different, but you know, really finding what you know makes people, um, what what motivates people, what makes people tick in that aspect, right? And so that's one aspect. And then training. There's a lot of different training. So some agencies require state certification and there's about six states that require that so you have to go through an academy in that state after you get hired typically Uh, some states allow you to do that before you're even an officer so you can get that and then bring that as like a hey look i'm already ready to go you know Uh, some of the programs uh, naca the national animal care and control association they have online training, so self-paced online training where you can go and sign up as a member and then, you know, hit, hit some classes that that are really specific to whatever it is that you're looking for. And you also have the Law Enforcement Training Institute. So that is an institute focused on animal cruelty investigations. I'm actually an adjunct instructor uh, for that group and teach a, a class every quarter. And I also do my own training as well. So I have on my website, uh, keepithumane.com, some trainings and some virtual options as well. So the training is out there, I think, just seeking it out uh, and, and then, you know, figuring out what class is going to be best for you and, and your, you know, your next steps is important. Gotcha. Wow. That sounds like um, it's great that there are so many resources out there, you know, for animal control. Um, but I'm sure it's never enough. I mean, and people don't necessarily know where and how to find, but it, it sounds like there's some really good resources there. So that that's fantastic. If Daniel, if you uh, if there are any folks that are interested in subscribing to the Animal Control Report, how would they do that? Yeah, I think wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just check out the you just basically punch in the Animal Control Report. Or you can just Google an animal control podcast and it'll take you to those pages and just click follow. Uh, We always ask for reviews because that helps our podcast grow. Uh, Share the podcast with your friends. And I think the cool thing is like we're always open to different suggestions. So uh, one of the things that we're really focused on now is trying to find just regular people that have had interactions with animal control in their community to talk about their experiences because we want to really bring it back to that. Like we want people who may have a specific feeling of animal control to have an option or an opportunity to talk about their experiences. So that's kind of our next, our next focus. We've, we've, you know, had the, we've been blessed to have some amazing experts on and we're going to keep that format, but we also want to add in the community back to it if, if uh, they're willing to participate. Excellent. And you started a podcast network. We did. So, and thank you for being part of that network. So we started the Keep It Humane podcast network. And the whole purpose of that is really kind of what we're doing here in this episode is, you know, talking about how we're kind of related, but a little different and having one landing page for all of that. So if one of your listeners, maybe you have a shelter manager or a community cat 
expert listening to this show and, and knows, oh, they have Brian Cordes on and, and want to check out that episode of the Animal Control Report, you know, they go back and search it up. And then while they're there, they're like, wow, they have a forensic veterinarian to talk about this. Like, this is super cool. Or they've had PetSmart charities on the show and they talked about this and those grant opportunities. So, you know, it, it helps us kind of across the board and, and vice versa. You know, we've had you on our podcast and uh, some of your listeners or our listeners, I'm sure have come over and, and joined your podcast. So uh, it's just a great way that, you know, we're working together to, to really help the movement of animal welfare in our communities. Right. And, and some people would think that animal control and community cats are at odds with one another. And I think it's really important for us to be able to be in a place where we may have disagreements. Don't get me wrong. We're not 100% always on the same page. But yet we do have some bedrock baseline beliefs, which is, you know, we're there for the animals. And in this case, we're there for the cats. And, you know, as we were talking earlier, we have a lot of common themes around spay, neuter and resources and accessibility. So there's more things in common than there are differences. And let's just hold on to those and be able to be united in some of those basic tenants that really can help improve the quality of life for cats. I think that's well said. I mean, at the end of the day, again, I don't know anybody that does animal control work because they don't like it. You know, there's some aspects of it that they really enjoy. I mean, there's hard times and there's good times. It's a very hard job. So if you think about it, people that stay in the business for a while, they do it because they have a passion for it. They really want to see change in their community. So uh, we're here for you. You know, we're here to help all the animals as we move forward. And, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of the community cat movement and really excited to see how, you know, how in 40 years, how, how much of an impact it has made. Right. And, and so as maybe we circle back in 40 years, I'll be pretty old, but I'm sure the podcast will look quite different then. It'll probably be like virtual AI with like a cats running around and, and little hot air balloons, who knows, but, um, just knowing that we had some sort of positive impact that made life better for our, our animals. I, I couldn't ask for a better thing. I was actually just watching a clip of, uh, Tom and Jerry and was Tom, Tom's the cat, right? Tom cat. Yeah. Yeah. And he like goes to heaven and they're like in line at heaven, you know, at the gate. And I mean, wow, Tom and Jerry is such an old cartoon. And this was one of the older ones too. And like, there's, there's a cat that like was on the fence, but then somehow like accidentally got electrocuted and died. I should preface this as it's a little morbid, but not intentionally. Um, another cat was like, you know, it's a cartoon, but it was like flat because it got hit by a car and run over. And then, uh, three kittens come out of a, you know, a soaking wet. Uh, pouch or bag that you know uh, symbolizes how they were treated and drowned uh, in that era and I'm glad we've moved on from that right like that's a horrific way uh, for any animal to have to die and um, for that to even just be the thought or the outcome uh, back then and or in general is it, it you know it's sad but it's it's good that we've moved on from that and we figured out a way to like embrace our cats in our community and find different outcomes for them. Yeah. Daniel, on a, on the up upside of things, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I, I just want to thank them. 
I want to thank all your listeners because if they're listening, that means that they're probably somehow helping. I'd love for them to check out our website and 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 the podcast network. So you can check out the website. It's keepithumane.com. And then if you want to check out just the podcast network, you can do that forward slash podcast network. So keepithumane.com forward slash podcast network. Uh, and just tell your friends, you know, tell your friends about this, this podcast that we have going on and, you know, how they can be a part of it. If you want to, if you have topics for our show or you want to join us for a guest uh, or you, whatever it may be, uh, shoot us a message. You can shoot us a message directly through the website and uh, we're happy to, to share this. This is a, we like to say it's like a, we're the voice for those that are fighting for the voiceless. You know, I know it's cliche, uh, but we're here, you know, with the voice helping those that, that help uh, get their word out there. Daniel, I'd like to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Love to. Thank you, Stacy. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think. And a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.